Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. On the last episode, we went over some free agency winners that maybe weren't, uh, you know, the norm that everyone's talking about. So obviously, if you didn't listen to that one, you should probably go check it out. You, you might be able to uh, gain some info and, and, you know, be able to make some trades or something to that effect with it. Um, on today's episode, we're actually going to be going over some uh, risers and fallers out of the top 12 at each position. Yeah, and... We, we know in the last podcast we talked about how we were going to have Peter Howard on to talk about the, the target vacancy fallacy. Uh, but unfortunately, we just couldn't get our times rolling. We know that a lot of stuff's going on for a lot of people right now. So we're still going to be looking to bring him on sometime within the next couple of weeks. But we're going to have to push that, that podcast back a little bit. So that's why we wanted to come into the risers and followers and give you guys some of these people that we think might be going into the top 12 of their positions and some of the people who we think might be falling out of the top 12 of their positions. Yeah, we, we figured this would be a good time to do this because obviously we have the draft coming up, you know, that's going to make some changes and, and everything. Um, but right now we have a lot of time on our hands and, you know, people are trying to make trades. In fact, we've had an influx just in, in trades in the past couple of days in, in our league that we're in together. So, you know, we're seeing that. And so maybe some of these guys would be somebody that you would want to consider trading for trading away, that kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, we're going to go ahead and, and get into it with the QBs. Uh, last year, uh, the top 12 was Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, uh, Dak, Winston, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, so why don't you go ahead and, and start us out, Crescent, and, and let us know who your riser is that you think will be breaking into that mix. Yeah, so the the list that you mentioned is from weeks 1 through 16, which for fantasy players, that's the only weeks we actually care about. Like, sorry for anyone that has a championship in week 17, but you need to get your league to change that. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, at least for now. We'll see once we add the extra games. Then we can we can talk more about that. And it was also four-point touchdowns. I want to make that sure that's clear. This is not like QB um, QB premium where it's a six-point touchdown. But the the guy I think has a chance of kind of breaking into that group is Jared Goff. Um, looking over his stats last year, like, yeah, he threw the, they threw the ball a lot, but that's not atypical for the Rams. Um, what was atypical is that we saw Goff's TD percentage drop by over 2% which is a lot for him to drop. If he had just kept his average, which was like mid to low fives, he would have thrown a lot more TDs. Now, one of the reasons that we saw that drop was because they threw the ball less in the red zone and particularly inside the 10. But since Todd Gurley, who's a TD machine and TD monster is not going to be there anymore. I have a feeling that we're going to see those throws in the red zone and inside the 10 go up a little more. Um, another big thing that I noticed with Goff was that he has this emergence of Tyler Higby at the end of the year. And if you look at his stats, like they break down monthly in December, he had a very, very solid month. He had 11 TDs to four interceptions. He was averaging a little over two touchdowns a game. Um, he's going to have more consistency with his O-line because they're, they're bringing everyone back. They re-signed their, their left tackle. Um, on top of that, they were actually one of the best pass-protecting teams. Their run run blocking was pretty poor, but their pass-protecting was one of the best. In fact, they had a really good um, adjusted sack rate. And so this defense that they have lost starters. It's going to be 
getting a little worse. So I, I can easily see him over 600 pass attempts again next year. And I think with all that said, and, oh, you know, a slight rise in his TD percentage and them throwing more in the red zone that golf could get back into that top 12 and, you know, come back to a spot that he was in just the year before that. I tend to agree with you with that one. Um, Obviously, it, it's going to kind of depend on what's going on. They're they're in some like salary cap trouble, so they can't really make too many moves as far as free agency or anything like that. But um, you know, they, they really haven't made too many uh, besides cutting Gurley, which obviously is not going to help the run game, I, I would imagine. And so, like you said, you know, maybe that's going to lean towards more passing. Uh, even you know, Henderson in college was uh, you know pretty good with with catching the ball and everything. So maybe he'll, he'll be able to actually, you know, help out in that aspect. And then, you know, that'll be better for golf. Um, I was, I was actually trying to see if they had made any, I couldn't remember if they'd made any uh, like free agency moves for uh, an offensive lineman. I know they re-signed, um, what was his name? Whitman. Whitworth. Uh, Whitworth. Thank you. <laughs> but that, but that was the only one that I could, uh, really think of and I, I didn't know if you had any info on that but I, I'm guessing they would still be looking to get a somebody in, in the draft you know regardless of where it's at um, but I know they don't have a first round pick but you know definitely somewhere in the draft they'd be looking to to add to that offensive line but uh, I don't think it's that difficult to see him you know jump right back into the the top 12. Yeah. And I, I think like I said consistency on the O-line is a really big thing for teams and I know that Goff may not be the best NFL quarterback, but the Rams are tied to him for at least two to two more years at the very least. Um, especially looking at his cap hit stuff. It's it's insane the cap hit that he has. And so he's on a team that's going to throw the ball. McVeigh likes to throw the ball, likes to run a little faster pace, likes to have the three wide. I think that you're gonna see from as a result of that. Goff is not going to be going down in pass attempts, even though he had an insane amount last year. He's probably going to still have an insane amount this coming year. Yeah, and, and like you said, with the, you know, with what happened in December, you know, that last month of the year, you know, he definitely started getting uh, kind of into a rhythm. They started going to that two tight end set, and you know, if they can keep that going in, into the the beginning of this year, you know, then that'll obviously be a huge boon for him. Yes. Um, so tell us, tell us who you had as the riser, because I think there's a lot of guys you can kind of pick through, but it's tough to really to, you know, it was tough for me to single in on just one. So I'm kind of interested in who you picked. Yeah, there was a couple guys that I was interested in, in doing. Um, I ended up going with uh, Matt Stafford and, you know, obviously the biggest part was that he just wasn't healthy last year. Um, but, you know, he, he only played eight games, but he, in those eight games, he was on pace for almost 600 attempts, which would have been, I, I think, like top seven as far as attempts, possibly even a little bit higher than that. Um, they they have a defensive minded coach, you know, came over from the Patriots and everything. But yet, like, it just seems like that defense just gets worse every time, like every year. Um, and they just lost Darius Slay, which isn't going to help anything. So if, if anything, I could see them going even like heavier on the, the attempts and, and getting past that 600 attempts this year. So the big question for me is just going to be if he's if his back is fully healthy um, and that kind of thing. And we've obviously seen issues with, uh, you know, with other quarterbacks when it, you know, when it comes to their back and and, you know, either uh, whether it was Wentz when he had the uh, the fracture in his back 
you know, which he missed obviously a decent amount of time with, or, you know, you have Romo with, uh, you know, I believe was Romo's, uh, I, I believe was slip discs. If I, if I remember correctly, but, you know, regardless, obviously we saw with Romo kind of ended up like ruining his career. Whereas with Wentz, it seems like at least the back issues are gone for now. Um, so, you know, it's kind of up in the air, but if he can stay healthy with that pace and, you know, the fact that he has uh, Galladay, Marvin Jones, who I think is underrated uh, just about every year. And uh, even like Hawkinson moving into his second year, uh, you know, I, I think he'll, he has the weapons to, to make it happen. So if he's throwing the ball over 600 times a game, you know, I can't imagine he wouldn't be at the very least top 12, possibly even breaking into the, the top eight or something like that. He was actually uh, fourth in points per game in 2019 in the eight games that he played. Yeah, I, I actually really like Stafford as well. And he just, you know, he's another guy that has a lot of different weapons. He, you know, the big, like you said, the big injury concern is his back and you know you talked about Romo Romo actually had multiple different um two he had two transverse process fractures in his back in 14 and then in 16 he had a compression fracture and an L uh, I think a fracture in his L1 vertebrae um okay so it was fractures. yeah it was fractures and so that's what really concerns me with Stafford you know there's guys like at FF student doc who've talked about how Stafford's a huge risk injury wise in dynasty, you know, in a redraft fine, fire him up, ready to go. We know he's on the field. He's going to be really good. The issue is how much longer is he going to be on the field? Like, you know, one big hit to him and all of a sudden now you have, you know, a guy, maybe like Tony Romo situation play out again, where he just, he can't come back from it. He just doesn't come back the way he is. And he's kind of forced into retirement as a result. I know he's not that old. I think he's only 30, 31, but still he's had some major injuries to his back and that's a big risk that you'd be, you know, you'd be willing to take. So I can read off. I don't think about it twice. You know, I take him, fire him up. I trust him as my QD one. And if he gets hurt, I think there's enough guys to kind of play, play off of that. But I think, you know, in dynasty, it's definitely something you have to heavily consider and really make sure you're you're getting Chase Daniels because I think that is an offense that has a lot of potential, right? Galladay, Marvin Jones, Hawkinson are some really good guys to target. And they even have Amendola, who's, you know, kind of underrated in, you know, in the slot. So I like Stafford a lot, like you pointed out, but those injury concerns really scare me in Dynasty. Yeah, that's the tough thing is, you know, he, I'm projecting him to have a good 2020 but obviously it just all depends on his health. And so it's, it's hard to say, like, go out and trade for him because you really could be making a mistake if he ends up not being healthy. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where it's going to be a high risk, high reward kind of deal. But, um, you know, it, it's hard for me to say, like, yeah, go out and buy him unless you're getting them pretty cheap. Yeah, because, I mean, if you have Stafford, you're probably not really selling him cheap. And as a result, you have to, you know, it's tough to go buy him because I don't know anyone who's just trying to dump him off. He's great for a win now situation. If you're trying to win your league this year, you know, and you're really, you're, you're willing to take that risk, then go get him. But it's just, it's difficult for me to want to, you know, long-term to really consider him. That's why I, I it's one of the reasons why I picked golf over him. Cause I was considering Stafford as well, but I was like, at least golf, I know he's going to be in this offense with these weapons for, you know, probably three years at least, right? They're pretty committed to to him. And Stafford, I just, the back injuries really worry me. You know, like that's something that's tough to come back from. 
Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, of age and injuries and everything else, that'll bring us to, to our fallers. And uh, we have a couple older guys here. Uh, who are you going with? Um, well, I mean, I think the obvious one right now is Winston, but I don't think we really need to talk about that. He's not even on a team. Who knows what he's gonna, where he's going to go and what he's going to finish as. And so I wanted to go with someone else that I know a lot of people really love, but he's getting up there in age, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Um, so some of the reasons I, I think Aaron Rodgers might fall out of the top 12 is – He's in an offense with LaFleur who actually likes to run the ball, especially in the red zone. And so LaFleur's offenses were ranked 9th and 13th the last two years um, compared to 29th and 17th in pass attempts. And so that just shows like he tends to run the ball more. And Green Bay has some really good running backs, right? Aaron Jones might be one of the most talented running backs in the league with his ability to catch, his ability to run. He has a great nose for the end zone. Um, and Jamal Williams, the mermaid, isn't all that off. I mean, I know he's just kind of like this steady, boring guy, but he's shown he can be decently effective as a running back. And Lafleur seems to like both of them. Um, he doesn't really have any weapons. He has Adams. He lost his big red zone weapon with Graham leaving. Um, that's just not to say that Sternberger can't do anything or, you know, maybe you really believe in Devin Funches, but there just really isn't someone else to take the pressure off. And so, you know, I can see them leaning on the run game a lot more. And last year, they were actually hyper-efficient in the red zone, and it wasn't just Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones was actually around his career norm as far as, like, red zone um, conversions for touchdowns. And so Rodgers threw the fifth most passes in the red zone, and I can see that kind of dropping more as they lean more on that run game, especially, like, as Rodgers gets older. He's another guy that has injury concerns. And, you know, it wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked to see Rodgers finish, like, in 14th or 15th at QB, not saying he's going to drop to the bottom or anything like that, but I could definitely see him falling out of the top 12. Um, I know that might not be uh, a take that a lot of people agree with, but if you look at these list of quarterbacks, it's kind of tough to pick who's going to fall out. And I think the older dudes tend to leave more way to fall out between injury risk. And then the offenses that they're in, they seem to be more designed for running the ball than they are for passing. Yeah, and I think you know everyone really expected uh, Green Bay to go out and get a, a wide receiver too. And I'm sorry, Funchess stands, but I'm pretty sure he's not the, that guy. Um, and so you know everything I've read and seen and heard is is just that like they really they really blew it by not going out and actually getting somebody like a Robbie Anderson, uh, you know anything really, even Broussard Perriman. Like it's just it's really hard to believe that they didn't do hardly anything so obviously they could do something in the draft uh, but if I mean you know you're talking about a rookie wide receiver and unless they're getting one of those like top few guys then you know you can't even necessarily say that they're going to be ready year one to do anything so I could definitely see it happening um, even last year you saw it I mean he had some blow-up games and then he had games where he just completely disappeared and uh, I think we have seen that LaFleur's offenses are, are a little more you know, run heavy or, or he wants it to be that way at least. And he even mentioned, you know, adding a third running back into the mix, whether, you know, through free agency, a trade or, or the draft. So, you know, if that ends up being the case, then they might just be running all the time. And then, and I would almost guarantee Rogers drops out of the top 12 at that point. Um, you know, I don't think 
obviously Rodgers was one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. And, you know, I think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league, but with his style of game, I think it's, it's going to be a quick drop off when it does actually happen. And I mean, we've kind of already seen the start of it. So, you know, if that's the case, then this year could be the year where he just completely falls off, whether, you know, this year or next year. So, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think that's a good choice for, for the possible dropout. Uh, I had another old guy, in fact, <laughs> one of the oldest guys <laughs> uh, with uh, Tom Brady. And, you know, I, I know everyone's so excited about him jumping over to the Bucks and, and everything. Uh, I'm definitely not one of those people. Uh, but I think that there I have some like you know, actual good explanations of, of why I'm not a believer in it and that it's not really going to work out as far as like a top 12 fantasy season for Brady. Um, one of those things being that he had 613 attempts in 2019 with the Patriots, which was the fourth most in the NFL. Now, Winston had 626 attempts, but I mean, if you look at how many pick sixes he had, how many interceptions, how many fumbles and everything, you know, how many of those attempts came from those turnovers or came after those turnovers where he's having to try and catch up, uh, you know, and, and try to win or yeah, come from behind to win the game and everything. Um, I could definitely see them drafting a running back. And, you know, I think most people are expecting them to draft a running back. And if that's the case, then they're probably going to try and be a little more run heavy. Um, and also their defense uh, really kind of picked it up towards the end of the season, you know, which most people probably don't even realize, but they were actually a top 10 defense that the last, like at least the last four or five games, if not even the second half of the season. Uh, so if you kind of combine all of that, I'm thinking that the pass attempts go way down. And even though I don't necessarily believe in like Brady's arm talent anymore, I do think he's a much better quarterback, you know, especially mentally than Jameis Winston. And so if he, if he's like, he's not turning the ball over, you know, they're running, they're doing that. And the defense is, is keeping them in games and they're not having to really, you know, score too much then, you know, his, his pass attempts could drop down into the, you know, low 500s. And that's going to make, you know, a huge difference for that. Um, just that alone, if you look at, you know, his yards per attempt were the second lowest in his career last year. And uh, his completion rating was in the low 50s in the second half of the season. So if he, if he drops down into the 500s for uh, pass attempts and he has a completion rating of, say, you know, mid to low 50s, and uh, yards per attempt, you know, I, I want to say they were in the fours uh, for, you know, for a lot of the games, then I, I don't think that's going to add up to a top 12 season. I, I agree. I think there's a lot of reasons to think Brady's going to slump off like father time, right? Undefeated and Brady's pretty much at that point. But you can also kind of, you know, just to kind of give a counter argument against it, because I, I do think Brady's going to fall off a little bit. I don't know if he falls out of the top 12. It's po- definitely possible. Um, but the whole idea of him going to an offense where they're going to be throwing a little more deep, he's going to have way better weapons than what he was working with in New England. And I think we can all agree on that, right? Like he's instantly going from what is arguably one of the bottom 10 wide receiver cores to arguably one of the top five wide receiver cores. Um, and so sure. that, that could definitely help him too, you know, with that completion rating. And it could help him as far as like his yards per attempt because Arians, you know, we've seen him take old quarterbacks and give them give them some light and and help them push. <laughs> Not this old. I mean, well, how often do you get to have a quarterback this old come to your team and start? So, right. 
But we could see yeah. those yard those yards per attempt go up because I know Arians really does like to push the ball down the field. So, I mean, I agree. It's more likely that Brady falls out of the top 12 than he stays in it. But I could still see a reason for why he might end up staying. I'm definitely not guaranteeing that, that he's going to drop out or anything like that. Um, you know, I think that we we've seen what the Bucks offense can be and, you know, and everything. So I definitely think there's a chance that he could be in the top 12. Um, you know, I don't think I've heard some people talking about like top five and stuff. I just don't think that's even. Yeah. I think top five is crazy, but I don't, I think, yeah, he'll be somewhere in between that 16 to, you know, 16 to 11 spot for quarterbacks, which, you know, if you have him and you're trying to win now, it's not that bad. I mean, he's a QB two for sure. He's not your QB one. I wouldn't trust him as a QB one right now, but maybe he can surprise some people. Maybe he has one last go in, in that cannon. Um, but let's let's move on to running backs. So the top 12 for running backs in PPR leagues was CMC, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Eckler, Zeke, Fournette. Henry, Chubb, Ingram, Carson, Kamara, and Barkley. Like, that's a really, really talented group. So I'm kind of wondering who you think has a chance to break into that top 12. I kind of went back and forth on this one. I had a couple different guys I was, I was really, you know, debating. Um, but I ended up going with Le'Veon Bell. Uh, and, like, the main reason for it was he was only 21 points outside of the top 12 last year. So – you know, you couple that with the fact that he missed a game. And then I think there was another game where he only ended up playing like half the snaps uh, because of injury. So, you know, you, you kind of add that up and that might be the 21 points right there, you know, close to it at least. Um, but then they lost their number one receiver. Obviously they're probably going to be adding somebody in the draft, but you know, it's going to be a rookie, uh, you know, it might take some time. So we know that he can, be leaned on as far as the receiving game and everything. So I, I would see, I would, I would guess that there's going to be an uptick uh, in receptions for him. And then possibly even, you know, a little more rushing just uh, from the fact that there's not as many offensive weapons and everything. And, but I guess the biggest thing that made me a believer for him in 2020 was all of the free agency moves that they did for their O-line. They got, um, Van Roten, McGovern, Fant, and Lewis. And that's in a left guard, a right guard, a center, and a offensive tackle. And and they were all major upgrades. They were all pretty good deals. Like, you know, guys getting paid like $30 million. So, I mean, nothing – not really any, like, one-year, like, prove-it deals or anything like that. Like, these are guys that they truly believe in. And the consensus says – that like the the offensive line is going to be extremely upgraded uh, this season compared to last, and if you look at it, you know he only averaged uh, three point two yards per carry last year, which is by far the lowest of his career. And I mean, honestly, that's that's low for just about anyone, not even just for Le'Veon. So even his yards per target was really uh, was much lower than what he's used to dealing with. Um, I think he was in the sixes. So he. And I, I just I could see all of that kind of going back up, even if he just gets up to around like four yards per carry or even three point eight. That's going to make a huge difference. And, you know, with that offensive line upgrade, uh, I could definitely see it happening. Like I said, he was only 21 points outside of it last year anyway. So I could definitely see him. Yeah, Le'Veon was definitely one of those consistent guys that was, you know, he wasn't getting you game you know, week winning numbers, but he was giving you, you know, double digit numbers almost every week just because 
he's able to catch those passes. I definitely think the upgrade in O-line is going to help. I know they were one of the absolute worst in, like, adjusted yards. Um, yeah, adjusted line yards. I think they were, like, 31st, right? Only Miami was worst. Um, in stuffed rank, this is all according to Football Outsiders, they were, like, 25th. So they were doing really bad, but he also had a bad season himself. He just didn't look like himself, and maybe that was because of the year off. Maybe it was because of some injury, or maybe it was because Adam Gase offenses tend to kind of blow, but I, I think you could expect <laughs> that to be, you know, one of his lower points, especially with the 3.2 and even the, you know, even his pass catching. Um, so I think there's room for him to definitely go up. Even if he goes up just a little bit, like you said, he could fall into the top 12 almost seamlessly. Um, the guy I picked was, this is kind of like a one year post hype sleeper. And that's Damian Williams. Now I want to, paraphrase this by like it's easy for us to pick someone like drake or mixon who i think you know a lot of people believe will be top 12 running backs well at least with drake i know i believe he'll be a top 12 running back but (laughs) damian williams was someone i kind of wanted to pull from outside like he was he finished really far down and that's because of injuries he was hurt a lot last year in the six games where he had a snap percentage of over 50 percent he actually averaged 18.3 points per game right and I know he had a few really big runs and that accounted for a huge chunk of his um, of his points last year, but that's how the Chiefs offense works, right? They, they trust him. They tried the McCoy experiment. It failed, and they realized that very quickly, and that's why McCoy was pretty much shut down almost the entire second half of the year through the playoffs. They know Damian Williams was the guy that fits that offense. Because they need someone who can catch. They need someone who can, you know, break those big runs. And he's in an offense that we know is going to score, right? We always want to target running backs who are going to get touches and who are in good offenses. Because even the best ones that get a lot of touches, if they're in poor offenses, like Le'Veon Bell, we see them struggle. And so when you have a running back who we know is going to get the majority of the snaps, even if, you know, Damian Williams only gets 60% of the snaps next year, he's still in one of the absolute best offenses. The Chiefs have limited draft capital. They only have five picks. They have a lot of other positions to address, like cornerback, defensive line, interior O-line. And so running back's not a huge priority. They've only brought in two running backs, and that was um, CEH and Moss. And CEH would have to be drafted pretty early with one of their earlier picks. Moss could potentially go a little later. Moss doesn't scare me at all because he's not a pass catcher. He may take away some of those red zone rushes, but... As far as the pass handling duties, like Damian Williams still would have that on lock. CEH is a little more of a threat for those pass duties, but he's also still a rookie and he would, you know, maybe it would be something where he takes over in 21. But I think for next year, Damian Williams could easily step back into the top 12 as long as he's healthy. And there aren't, there isn't anything that points to him being, you know, in quote unquote injury prone, which is not a real thing. Um, but that's kind of, that's who I kind of dug up from the, the very bottom. You know, I think the biggest thing, like you said, is is I, I think people expect them to uh, to draft a running back, whether that actually happens or not, or whether it's you know a highly drafted guy uh, is going to obviously make a big difference. Um, but for me, it, it's kind of my same argument with uh, Kenyon Drake is just the health, or or not even necessarily health with Drake, but um, but with both of them, you just really don't ever have them having workhorse touches or even like. A, you know, a substantial snap share. You have Damian Williams playing 11 games this season, 10 games the season before. 
Um, and then I think even uh, in, I think it was 2017, he only played in uh, 14 games, but you know, his like the majority of his carries are, or, or his carries each year are somewhere around like 80, a hundred, something like that. I mean, he's never even had, you know, 200 carries or anything like that. So it, it's really hard to say that he's going to be this like workhorse back that's going to get it done, whether it's a health thing or whether it's just the team not believing in him. Um, so like that would be my biggest concern with it. But obviously, you know, the offense isn't a, con- a concern. And, you know, we could definitely see if he does get those opportunities, you know, we could see him jumping up into that. Top yeah, and, for sure. I mean, I actually absolutely understand that people – are definitely gun shy because he burned a lot of people last year. He was a right, he was a big kind of polarizing figure in the off season last year. A lot of people were like, "Oh, Damian Williams, he went nuts the last four weeks. He's going to be an RB one." And then people were like, "No, he doesn't get the touches. He never has the career like to show that. He's just like a backup guy that happened to get hot at the right time, um, and then he got hurt. So we, we no one really got to prove their point, right? Because the game, like I said, the games he played, he looked great. He just didn't play a lot of games." And and so I actually exactly. I don't really think the Chiefs are going to draft a running back this year per se. Next year I definitely think they will, but I think this year he kind of he'll slip through. And so if he's someone you want to kind of I don't know maybe throw throw a second round pick at and see if someone's willing to give him up because they think the Chiefs are going to be taking um, some type of running back, then you might be able to get a guy who could sneak into the back end of the RB one situation or at the very least I think a high-end RB2, and that could really help in a lot of different leagues. If you can get him for a second, um, you know, I guess, uh, what would you be willing to, like, what's the most that you would pay for Williams? So I if, I, if I need an RB2, that that's kind of where my mindset would be. I don't think I could ever trust him as an RB1. If I really needed an RB2 in a 12-man super flex PPR league, I feel like I'd be willing to give up, uh, you know, like, 2.05 if I'm trying to win now, right? Like if I'm going for the win right now, I think I'd be willing to give up that that mid-second round pick. Yeah, I definitely think that's reasonable. And, you know, I, I would actually be willing to pay that as well. I'm just not sure that people that have Williams, unless they have a lot of running back depth or unless they're just really scared that they're going to draft somebody, I, I don't see people actually, you know, doing – a 205 for Williams kind of trade. Uh, now I could be wrong. Obviously, it's worth the shot, but you know, I I feel like people would be wanting like a back end first, and that's not. Yeah, I think back end first pay. definitely not. Maybe I go up to like 202, 203. I guess it all depends on what my team needs are at that point, and how comfortable I am with my with my team, and if I really think I'm going to need one of these rookies to hit, or if I'm really targeting certain certain players, but. Like I said, it all depends. Like if I'm trying to win now, I'm will- a little more willing to take a bigger risk and maybe give up something like a 202 or a 203 instead. That brings us to our fallers. And uh, for me, this is a guy that I would actively be trying to trade. Um, and that's not to say that I think he's going to be terrible, that he's not going to have fantasy value or anything like that. Um, I think he actually will be a, a good running back too. Uh, I just think that people are kind of expecting him to be a running back one, and that's Austin Eckler. Um, If you listen to the Fantasy Footballers podcast, uh, maybe you heard that they actually interviewed him. And in his own words, he said that the 
Chargers uh, basically lowballed him an offer saying, you know, like, hey, you're not a workhorse back. You are an offensive weapon. And, uh, and the, you know, they, they, he said that they were extremely far apart on their initial offer. And so he only ended up getting, what, $24 million, uh, what, about $6 million a year? Yeah, something like that. For, yeah. in, in his final contract. So, so if they were, if they were fa- really far off in the beginning, what did they offer him? Like $3 million a year, like $4 million a year? You know, so it, it seems to me like in the long run, they ended up paying him a decent amount, but nothing like crazy. I mean, Jordan Howard just got, what, two years, $10 yeah. million? So, you know, um, nothing like substantial, nothing crazy. And he even said that he doesn't consider himself a workhorse back, that he considers himself an offensive weapon, um, which is great. But that sounds more like Tariq Cohen or, you know, somebody, you know, to that effect and not Todd Gurley of old and like that kind of thing, or even Melvin Gordon of old. So, uh, you know, that's just uh, that's kind of like my big worry right there. It's just if he doesn't believe it, and if the team doesn't believe it, then what's going to stop them from going out and drafting somebody, trading for somebody, whatever that may be, or even just using Justin Jackson a ridiculous amount or way more than we're expecting them to. Um, I would still think that they actually go out and draft somebody because they have some really good picks. They obviously have 105, and but they're planning on going quarterback there, or you know, at least that's what people are expecting. Um, but they have 205, 307, and 406, which all could be a decent to good running back, uh, you know, that they would bring in. Um, nice addition. So, you know, that really scares me for, for Eckler, and it wouldn't surprise me with uh, some of the running backs that are, are in this draft if they went out and, and got one of them, and it really just killed Eckler just from that aspect. But then, you know, now – add on to that, that you're taking away Phillip Rivers and his 163 targets to the running back position from last year. You know, I think with Tyrod being more of a rushing uh, quarterback and then whatever rookie they bring in, you're probably not going to see as many and probably not nearly as many targets going to the running back position, which is basically where, you know, he made his, like made his money, you know, if he's not getting targeted and he, he was targeted, I I believe the second most, yeah, he was targeted the second most of uh, any running back in 2019 and had the second most receptions of any running back. So if that drops quite a bit, then, you know, I could see his, uh, his stats going down quite a bit and obviously his fantasy points. Yeah. So I I looked it up real quick. Tyrod the last year that he was a full-time starter. Well, I mean, he had the Nathan Peterman experiment a little bit there, but um, when he was on the Bills, he had LaShawn McCoy, who I would say, you know, is a really good pass catching running back. McCoy had 77 targets, oh, yeah. which was about, a, I think it was 16% target share um, from the Bills that year. Right. And so I looked up real quick what Eckler's was last year. It was 18%. So you'd see a small drop there. I don't expect the Chargers to throw the ball almost 600 times like they did last year. So definitely see less throws, no. which in turn is going to lead to less targets for Eckler. Um, like sure, Eckler might be getting some of the some of the targets that Melvin Gordon was getting, but we don't know who the other running back is going to be. If it is going to be Justin Jackson, um, then that makes me a little more comfortable with Eckler. But with the potential that the Chargers have, and I haven't really looked at who they visited or anything like that to see if they are looking at running backs, but. 
if they take a running back, which like you pointed out, they're in a pretty solid position to do that because their defense looks really good right now. They have, you know, they're probably going to target either O-line or quarterback, most likely quarterback at 1-6. So I could see them grabbing a running back in one of those mid, you know, third, in the early third or even early fourth. And it could be a decent guy with how many, you know, how many running backs we have going right now. So, uh, he it would have to be a big drop for him, which could potentially happen. Um, I think he's he's definitely not going to be a top five guy again in my eyes. But you know he'll I think he'll definitely be in that you know mid RB two to potentially you know back in RB one spot. But I think you brought up a ton of great points and things. And like you said, I went back and listened to that fantasy footballers pod. It's the last ten minutes of their podcast when they interview Eckler. And you can, like you said, you can hear him talk about how he sees himself as a weapon and the team sees him as a weapon, which is more important to us because we want, it doesn't matter what we think about Austin Eckler. Like, I think he could be a really great running back that, you know, is an every down guy. But if the team doesn't see him that way, then it really doesn't matter what I think. And so if the team sees him just as a weapon and not as the running back, then that could definitely be a big issue to to consider. Yeah, and the sad part is that, I loved the interview and he seems like an extremely likable guy and like extremely friendly and everything. So I I would like to root for him and it's not that I'm not rooting for him. I just, I just don't see running back one really happening this year. And so like I said, I just, if if people are are thinking that or assuming he's going to be a top 12 uh, running back, then, you know, I'm, I'm trading him all day long. So actually this brings me to probably one of my more hot takes. Um, I actually, when I first started this, I was looking on, fan- I had fantasy pros up looking at who was in the top 12 and I was going through it and I had Todd Gurley initially. I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. I can write up about how Todd Gurley's going to slip out. And I realized that was in standard and not PPR. When I went to PPR, Todd Gurley was out of the RB1 situation. So I had to think of someone that I really didn't think is going to fall back. And Ingram's an obvious one. He's really old. He has injury concerns. He's an obvious regression candidate. But I'm actually going to go with Dalvin Cook. And I know a lot of people absolutely love Dalvin. And I'm really concerned with his injuries. And I talk about um, FF student doc a lot because when it comes to injury stuff, I really believe and trust in him. And you can look at his track record from last year and some of the stuff that he did. But he talked about how there's a huge risk associated with Dalvin Cook next year. Particularly, you know, there's about a 20% chance of another ACL tear coming from him. Um, one of his shoulders has about a 13 to 26% chance of a dislocation. The other one has about a 40 to 50% chance. And this is some of the injury history with Dalvin Cook. He's had dislocation of his, so- of his shoulder in high school. It happened twice in Florida State, and it happened last year in Minnesota. So that's four different dislocations. He had an SC joint issue and an ACL in- issue. Um, all these things tie back into connect- connective tissues. And because of all that, there's this huge concern with me that Dalvin could end up hurt again. And when running back, I know he did so great that even with the couple games that he was out, he still finished a top five RB. But if he, ha- if he has an ACL injury or an MCL injury, he's going to be out a lot longer than right just one or two games. And if he's very likely to have another shoulder injury, that could be another couple games on top of some of this stuff. So just anytime I think about running backs, I'm always concerned about injuries. 
But especially when a guy has shown to have these reoccurring problems in the same areas. Um, to add on to that, he's going to be facing more stacked boxes. Last year, he was 16th in stacked boxes, meaning eight-man boxes or more. They don't have digs. There's not a real threat. No one's scared of Thielen beating you over the top. Cook is like the absolute guy. So I could see defenses honing in more on that. Um, I could also see, you know, them not really running the ball nearly as much. I know Kubiak is, you know, a running guru and things like that, but he still also has thrown the ball more than what we saw last year with Stefanski. And so because of that, maybe we see Cook's rushing attempts go down a little bit. And maybe they're also trying to manage this injury history with him and give Madison even more touches, right? So maybe we start to see more of a 65-35 thing. And with all those things, I could see, you know, Cook falling out of the top the top 12 next year. Um, it's not a likely thing, but Cook is someone I'm actively avoiding at his ADP right now. And I do think there is a decent chance of him falling out of the top 12. Um, you know, I would need betting odds, obviously, if I was going to bet on it. But if there's someone I'm trying to avoid from this list, that's not like an obvious one like Ingram. It's Dalvin Cook. You're not going to get an argument from me on this one. I I think that Cook is one of the most overrated running backs in the league. Um, I don't really get it. I don't understand why people, you know, think he's just amazing. I understand that he's had some some good games, and obviously he got a lot of touches last year that led to, you know, a good, good amount of points. But, you know, if you watch those games, there was times where I'd be like, oh, wow, Cook just had a great run. And then up pops Madison, and I'm like, oh, okay. So it wasn't even Cook. They looked almost exactly the same running the ball and you know cook or madison was what a third round rookie so you know he might even have some like growing to do where he gets even better in the second year whether it's like pass blocking like that kind of stuff or pass protection i should say so you know i could i could definitely see uh madison uh jumping up there and, and getting more touches uh even without cook getting hurt and then, you know, now you throw in the injury risks and everything. And shoulders scare the crap out of me with running backs. Uh, we've seen it with Cook. We've seen it with uh, Josh Jacobs. Uh, there's one that's really uh, – that, that I'm forgetting right now, like a, a major one. But you know, those shoulder injuries, they start pumping them with the, those painkillers and everything. And then the shoulders just get worse and worse and worse. And the dislocations keep happening, and it becomes a major issue. For him. So that's nothing that I would really want to deal with. And uh, I, you know, like you said, I, I think there's definitely chances that he could just, his numbers could drop anyway, but I would almost guarantee he's going to miss at least a couple games, if not more. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny you mentioned like when Madison would run right after Cook, they have very similar jersey numbers. They both have the dreads. They look almost identical on the field. It's one of those things where sometimes I have to double check, like, wait, who had the ball right there? Um, and, you know, it was shocking because I actually didn't hear a lot of hype around Madison coming in. He played really well last year, and I could definitely see him cutting into some of these targets. But um, targets that Cook was getting as a passer and obviously the carries as well. So let's move on to wide receivers, though. Who, who do you have as a big riser into the top 12 to join guys like Michael Godwin, Hopkins, Julio, Edelman, Cup, A-Rob? Keenan Allen, Galladay, Cooper, Evans, and DJ Moore. Once again, there's some obvious ones like uh, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill. 
but we we really try to avoid doing those. It just doesn't seem to help anybody by talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, that was more about injury than anything else. Um, and the guy that I'm going to be talking about, it, um, the reason why he wasn't, at least in my eyes, was was more about injury than anything else as well. But it might not be as obvious because he really didn't miss uh, too many, if any, games. Um, and that's Tyler Lockett. So I just from what I've been hearing from people and some of the trades that I've made recently, I feel like people are pretty low on Lockett and I don't really understand it because uh, for, through the first eight games of the season, he was on pace for 262 points, which would have been good for wide receiver four overall uh, for the season. Um, and the reason why I say the first eight games is because he had a 40 point game in week nine. So I really didn't want to include that and be like, Oh, look, you know, but if you include that week nine, game then he would have been on pace for 304 points which would have been good for wide receiver two overall in ppr um obviously only behind michael thomas at that point who had like what 406 points or something crazy like that but still 304 points higher than anybody else and you know that that definitely and and when i say these points um uh, i'm talking about only week weeks one through 16 so it, it might actually be a little bit more than that if you start including the week 17 but like you said before, I don't play week 17, so I don't include that in my stats. <laughs> um, but what happened after week nine was he got a severe bone bruise or a bone contusion, uh, which caused like massive swelling that almost cut off his blood supply. He had to go to the, be rushed to the hospital after the game. Um, and then he had to stay overnight, maybe even for multiple nights uh, for them to like keep an eye on his leg because they were worried that the blood supply was going to get cut off and then he might actually lose his leg. Um, after that time, his snap share dropped from what had been in the high 90s, like 96, 97 percent uh, into like the mid 80s. Um, and that was after they actually had like, I guess, a perfect timing kind of deal uh, where they had a buy the week after he got hurt. So he had a week to heal and then he still came back and, and he had a timeshare in the, the mid eighties at that point for the next, I believe it was four games, maybe five, um, which then his, his targets dropped substantially. He only had three, tar he averaged three targets from uh, weeks 10 through 13. Um, but then it seems like he kind of got back up to health after that. And so for the last three games of the season, he went back up into the 90s for, for a, a snap share, and he averaged eight targets over those last three games. So I'm really thinking if you look at those like four weeks where, you know, after he had that leg injury, it really truly affected him. Obviously, he's a he's kind of like an Amari Cooper or a Stephon Diggs where, he, you know, he he is all about the route running and like, you know, making himself open and available to the quarterback. Whereas, you know, it's not necessarily like speed or anything like that, but if he can't really move the way he wants to, he's not going to be able to, to get open like that. And then obviously I would say his targets are going to drop because of that. Um, but, you know, even if you take out that massive week nine game and you're looking at 262 points for the season, and you know, I'd be pretty happy with that. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah. I, <laughs> I had Lockett last year, so he kind of did kill me after that injury. Um, I was actually super worried about the, the I think it's like compartmentalizing or I can't remember what exactly it is, but where what you were talking about with the swelling yeah. and how they thought that the leg, you know, there is potential for there to be amputation. I was like, oh, madame, I'm about to lose one of my young wide receivers. Um, 
I, yeah. My one worry with him is obviously just DK and DK's improvement through the year and whether or not DK jumps him to become like the wide receiver one over Lockett. I know that Wilson and Lockett have some crazy telepathic connection between them, right? Like there is just one of the, <laughs> the strangest things of how accurate Wilson is when he targets Lockett. Just it's mind blowing, but DK fits more of that mold of the, of a wide receiver one DK showed he can be dominant last year and in multiple games, including in the playoffs. So I'm wondering if maybe we see that year two jump from DK where he takes the target lead and Lockett plays that wide receiver two and gets, you know, kind of stays where he's at as far as targets go. And instead we see DK kind of taken off instead. Is that, is that a concern for you at all when it comes to Lockett or is that something that, you just don't think it's really going to happen there. I really just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I like DK as a receiver, but, you know, I kind of think he, he has his role. And I think that's, that's why I brought up the targets of the last three games, because, you know, I feel like if, you know, everyone kind of suspects that DK was taking over because he scored more points, you know, the last you know few weeks, however many handful of weeks. Um, but he, that's why, you know, seeing that uh, Lockett still had eight tar- averaged eight targets over the last three games leads me to believe, like I said, you know, he was injured. He, he missed, you know, didn't miss, but he, you know, he wasn't himself for four weeks or five weeks. And then he got back to himself. He started getting those targets again. He had, you know, a, like a 27 point week, I think it was. And then like a 17 and a half point week um, in those last three weeks. So I, I'm not too scared about it. I mean, obviously it's, it's possible that DK, you know, does get a little bit uh, larger of a market share uh, in there. But I also think that that they might have a weakened defense in 2020 compared to 2019 and that they might actually be passing more because of that. So even if his, his share goes down a little bit, you know, if his, if his actual like overall numbers go up a little bit, then, you know, he could at the very least be right around the same, and, you know, once again, even if he drops off a little bit, if he was on pace for 262 points, let's say he drops to 200 points, he's still going to be within the top 12 um, at that point. So I guess the biggest thing is just going to be health for him. Um, but I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that he's injury prone or anything like that. Uh, maybe that'd be a good question for the for the student doc and, uh, you know, see if, if any of his injuries could lead to future injuries or anything like that. But I, uh, I, I'm definitely seeing, you know, at least the possibility for him moving up into the top 12. Once again, you know, not a guarantee or anything, but uh, I, I think if he plays 16 games, there's a very good yeah, chance. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely think there is a decent chance that we could see someone like Lockett in the top 12 next year. Um, like I said, the biggest issue to me is going to be DK's development and whether or not, you know, he takes that second year leap and kind of takes the command of that offense. I do think they're going to be throwing the ball a little more one because they don't really have too many options when it comes to running the ball right now because of injury concerns. And because we know Penny will be out still a little bit with the ACL. And even if Carson comes back hundred percent healthy, which I don't see any reason why he won't be ready for the start of the year. They still don't really have much behind him, which is why they brought in Lynch during the playoffs. So I, I could see them kind of handing the reins over to to Russell and telling him, you know, go, because that's when it looks like their offense has worked the best. Um, the guy that I think is going to 
potentially rise into this top 12. And I've talked about him before multiple times is DJ Chark. I just, this is a guy that I would love to have a share of and I have none. And it kind of upsets me that I don't have any shares of him because I, you know, he has the draft capital. He has the speed. He has all those little metrics that people want with target share or market share and dominator rating and things like that. Last year, he had 118 targets. He's going to be into a new offense with Gruden and Gruden's number one wide receivers when he's had like a guy who was an alpha, which was AJ Green, was a 30% target share for like three straight years. Chark is the alpha in this receiving core. There's not a wide receiver that has, you know, the metrics that has the draft capital that has the talent that Chark has. Last year, he had a 21% target share. If he makes that third year leap, which I mean, he's already shown a big leap from his rookie year to last year. And let's say he ends up with not let's not give him 30 because that's an insane amount, right? Like only a few hyper elite guys get that. But if he gets, you know, wide receiver one target share, which is 25 percent, that's around 140 targets. He missed a game last year, too, on top of it. So, you know, if he's able to play all 16, then I could definitely see him being one of those wide receiver ones. The Jags D sucks. They're going to be throwing a lot. Um, he already showed decent connection with Minshew. Minshew seems to be their dude, although there is an outside shot right now. I think like Vegas odds says Jameis might be going to, to the Jaguars last I checked. They're the favorites for, for Jameis. But even then, that's like another up. That's just an upgrade, right? Because Jameis is just going to throw the ball a million times. And we already know he's fantasy gold. So I could definitely see DJ Chark jumping into the top 12 next year and being a firm wide receiver one. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have to disagree. Uh, obviously, if you listen back to our previous episode, uh, you'll hear my take on Minshew. And, uh, you know, even diving into that a little bit more, I, uh, I'm, I brought up his game log from last season. And obviously, you know, Chark blew up the week one. He, he had 24.6 points, um, 18.5, 17.6 after that. And week five, he had 36.4 points. I mean, I want to say he was a top five receiver at that point, um, you know, at that point through the season. And then obviously he got hurt. He missed a game. But then he came back. You know, he was fully healthy. Uh, you know, I'm looking at his snap share. Everything's after week nine. You have 98.4%, 100%, 100%, 98.3. So he's, you know, in the, at least in the 90s at that point. And, uh, and you know, when Minshew came back, for Foles and took over for Foles again. Um, he had 8.8 points in week 12, 6.7 points in week 13, 16.5 in week 14, um, 3.8 in week 16, and 7.4 in week 17. Not that we count that, but um, you know, I think I, th- I think some of that Minshew magic went away, and you saw it in Minshew's numbers. You you saw it in Chark's numbers. And I could see a lot more of that. And obviously he is talented. He's fast. Um, and, and I, I don't like deny his talent. So I could see him having a good game, but I could just see it re- being really hit or miss uh, or boom or bust. And, you know, you're going to, you're probably going to get a lot of those 3.8 weeks and 6.7 weeks more than you're going to get. Uh, well, 20. just to, just to throw this out there, he like actually that. injured himself in that week 14 game where he had 16.5. Um, and then, so he sprained his ankle, he missed the next week, he came back week 16 and 17, so I don't, I mean, I know his snap 
his snap share was high, but that doesn't necessarily mean he was playing healthy. Well, yeah, week 14 is his lowest of the snap share. So he probably, I mean, he obviously played the majority of the of the game, but he obviously hurt himself towards the end. And then, yeah, I, I wasn't even paying attention to the fact that week 15 wasn't in there. That's when he got hurt. So, um, you know, obviously he, he missed that whole next week, but then he did come back and play 94.6% of the snaps after that. Um, obviously an ankle is a big deal and it definitely could have uh, affected him. But like I said, in weeks 12 and, and 13 before that injury, you know, he, he still only had 8.8 and 6.7 points. So I, I just think some of that magic kind of went away. Maybe people started realizing, Hey, we actually have to like cover this guy. And, uh, and, and, you know, I just, I could see it being a little different this year. Not once again, not to say that he couldn't be a wide receiver two or, or anything like that, but I, I don't see him. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, there's 12. all, there's depth risk with him, but I think he's he's ready to make those strides. But if we're going to keep disagreeing, we might as well go to the big one we're going to disagree on, which is my faller out of the top 12. And <laughs> that is DeAndre Hopkins. So I'd already, I've already written about Hopkins. I have um, a thing up on at FF ball all day. Um, you can see, I think it's my pinned tweet right now, but I wrote an article about Hopkins and how he's going to be playing more of that left flank and not as much in the slot like he was when he was with Houston. And so that's going to lead to an increase in coverage against number ones. He moves into a better division against the pass, right? And a lot more top elite quarterbacks, guys like Jalen Ramsey, which he has struggled against. He'll be facing twice a year. Um, on top of all that, at Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, made this really amazing data analysis post looking at how the Arizona offense, what to expect from it as far as like pass plays and pass attempts and the rate, um, the just the rate of play from Arizona and how that's going to affect Hopkins. And what he kind of deduced was that we're going to see Hopkins drop, you know, two to three targets a game just from moving from Houston to Arizona based on target share of wide receiver ones, based on, the amount of pass plays that the the Cardinals have. And it's, you know, it's this really beautiful data dive. I encourage anyone to look at it if you're really into those numbers. And so we're going to see a decrease in targets. He's going to move to a less efficient spot on the field. Um, and we're going to, I know we're going to talk about this, but Watson to Kyler, I don't think we're going to see an increase in efficiency. Um, I think having delay in the off season is going to hurt the chance for chemistry to build with Kyler. He already had that with Watson. So I think there's a whole bunch of reasons why we actually see Hopkins fall out. Now that doesn't mean he's going to drop to like wide receiver 20, but I think, you know, wide receiver 13, 14, I could definitely see that happening next year. Well, the the first thing is that I I don't, I don't see how he could possibly replicate a 31% target share. So I definitely agree with that. Um, I just, and what I told you before is, you know, while I don't think he's going to have 150 targets and a 31% target share, I definitely could see his efficiency going up. And that's kind of where we disagree because you, you don't see that happening. Um, but the thing, the fact of the matter is, is that he was 62nd in the NFL for average target distance. So obviously he's being targeted, uh, you know, like 
less down the field than than uh, 61 other uh, wide receivers. And so I, you know, even his total target distance, while he was second in targets, his total target distance was only eighth in the league. So that just shows that he's not really being targeted like deep down the field or even like like in the middle of the field, it's a lot more like the shorter stuff, you know, not necessarily dump offs, but maybe slants, seven yard, you know, seven yard slants, that kind of thing. And that has a lot to do with him being in the slot. So, you know, if he drops down to say 120 targets or, or even, you know, I can't imagine that he's going to drop more than that, just being who he is. So if he's down to 120 targets, but now he's being targeted closer to, you know, 12, 13, even 14 yards per target, um, or target distance, I mean, and you know, his yards per reception and yards per target were in the seventies and eighty or seventies and fifties, as far as, uh, you know, compared to other wide receivers. So if he starts getting a little more efficiency in those, um, and then he only had seven touchdowns last year, uh, you know, so he could easily jump up, you know, and, and have nine, 10, or even more uh, on a little more of a, a, a little more exciting offense. So if you get some more of that efficiency, I, you know, once again, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a top five receiver anymore, but I just can't imagine he's going to drop out of the top 12. Um, and I still think there is a chance that he could be in the top five. It's just, you know, but like you said, there's a lot, a lot of question marks, you know, and learning a new offense and everything is going to be tough with uh, everything going on. So, you know, it, it's definitely can't, well, nothing we can I mean, guarantee, but I can't imagine him dropping stuff, out of the top 12. It wasn't like Kyler, and I know you're going to say Kyler's a rookie, but Kyler wasn't efficient either. Like if we look at those same numbers you were talking about as far as efficiency to to Fitz and to, to Kirk last year, they were about the same, if not worse, than what we saw Watson to Hopkins. So I, I know that you can make an argument that Kyler's going to develop more and so maybe his efficiency improves from that, but that's also just not a guarantee or a given either because we've seen plenty of QBs not improve from rookie year to second year. Um, I mean, look at your boy Baker, right? Like he had a pretty decent rookie year and then it seemed like he kind of fell off a little bit more in his second year and, you know, stuff happens and it's not like there's an improvement on the O-line. So Kyler's going, you know, he's going from Watson and Houston who had a really bad O-line to, Kyler in Arizona who has a really bad O-line so it's not like there's going to be more protection so he can work his way down the field faster sometimes Arizona might have to just be getting the ball out quicker which leads to more passes to guys like Larry who's going to be in the slot or to Kirk or to Drake right he has more people to compete with for targets as well than maybe what he was going to be having in Houston so I I know that this is more of, like I said, it would be considered a hot take by a lot of people. And I I agree that it might, you know, might be a bit of a hot take. But I think there is some statistical numbers that can point to him being just outside the wide receiver one or maybe even just like at the back end of the wide receiver one. I don't see a way in which he is a top five wide receiver, um, but he's still being drafted like that. So that's something that I would be kind of avoiding. Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean that I, I don't think he's a sell. I, I do. I, I would obviously be trying to sell him if you, you know, assuming that somebody is really excited about the move or anything like that. Um, you know, like I said, I just, uh, I think we're we're kind of making similar arguments, but maybe we're just kind of ending up at like different levels where I'm talking about like 
the eighth wide receiver, the ninth wide receiver, and you're talking about the 13th or the 14th. It's not like it's some huge no, drop no, no, off definitely. where you're saying he's so going to be a wide receiver. Guy. Who do you think is going to be the like guy that. that falls off? Mine is going to be Keenan Allen, and you know, it, <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm kind of hating on the Chargers today, but you know, uh, they just they kind of, I mean, they have a lot going on, you know. But uh, I didn't really get into it earlier when talking about uh, Eckler. But they made some pretty big additions to the defense uh, with uh, Harris, Vigil, and Joseph. Uh, all They might actually have the best secondary in the league. Um, I don't even think that's really like a hot take or anything. Uh, so, you know, you add in Bosa and, and uh, Ingram and, and everyone else they have on their defense. And, I mean, they might actually have the best defense in the league in 2020. Obviously, if they can stay healthy, that's been a big, uh, a big problem for them. But. If they can, uh, then I would imagine the defense is going to be pretty darn good. And obviously that's going to – that in itself is going to drop or bring down the, the pass attempts. But then, you know, obviously you're losing Phillip Rivers, who's been there for Keenan Allen's entire career. They had a great chemistry, and now you bring in Tyrod Taylor. We have no idea who he's going to lock on to. Uh, you know, he very well could lock on to Eckler. Uh, you know, I, I like you said, he, he kind of – at least to a certain extent, locked on to McCoy earlier uh, in his career. So it, it, it's definitely possible. Obviously, he could fall in love with Mike Williams and, you know, like that that big receiver, more of like a, who would, you would consider like, an, a, like a true number one receiver, like that kind of build. Uh, so we – and obviously they could go draft somebody um, as well. But, you know, you also have Hunter Henry entering the year healthy for basically the first time in a long time, if not like the first time in his career. And he's on a uh, a franchise contract, so unless they extend him at some point before the season starts, then he's going to be looking to to make some money for for the future. So he might even play through some stuff that maybe he hasn't played through in the past, assuming he can stay healthy and not have some major ACL injury or anything like that. Then you know I could see him being a big part of of the team this year because obviously he's trying to earn some money. Uh, so you know you kind of you kind of add all that up and I can't imagine that, uh, that he's going to get 150 targets again, which was, uh, and also the chargers had the seventh most pass attempts last year. So, you know, I, I would imagine that's going to drop down to at least average, if not even below average with that defense. And so, you know, dropping from 150 targets down to, you know, 120, 110, Something like that could be a pretty big deal for Allen's value. Yeah, I don't know. I can see him dropping out of the top twelve players, but not name their best defensive player. Derwin James, man, come on! I mean, just him coming back as well. I think is going to have a huge impact on that defense. (laughs) It allows that front, you know, front seven to be even more aggressive because of a player of his, you know, his caliber. Um, I I agree. I could see the whole Chargers offense as a whole just kind of a little less fantasy production. and it, it does depend on who's going to end up there. I think right now they're actually favorites for Cam in Ve- like their Vegas favorites. I think it's like minus one seventy or something like that. So a lot of people think Cam ends up there, and that might change my view a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much or how much I trust Cam and his shoulder, but dude's out there working out to gospel music. So who knows? Maybe God can revive his shoulder for him, and he can he can ball out <laughs> in L.A. But um, I can see I can see Keenan kind of falling off just a little bit 
I don't know necessarily if Mike Williams would take more, but I definitely could see someone like Hunter Henry, who's going to be there in the short a little more for, for someone like Tyrod or even for a rookie, right. To depend on, they're going to look more towards the, the shorter routes, but yeah, let's, um let's get on to tight end. Who's your big riser at tight end. Who's going to break through and push out one of Kelsey Erds, Andrews, Kittle, Waller, Hooper, Cook, Higby, Henry, Godert, Witten, or Gusecki? Honestly, this one was a little tougher for me than than some of the other ones. Um, and this one in general is, is a little more difficult because they had the QB change and everything. But I decided to go with Noah Fant. Um, he was injured in week 14. And so his snap share kind of went down uh, when once like Locke took over, or, you know, or at least during that time. So it's really hard to judge like how he's going to be with Drew Locke. But, um, you know, he had the 15th most targets uh, for tight ends in his rookie season, the 11th most deep target. So, you know, he wasn't just getting these little like dump offs, you know, when the quarterback's being rushed or anything like that. You know, he, he was actually like a playmaker. He, he was making plays out there. Um, he also had the second most yards per reception and the eighth most yards per target. So, you know, I think he was, he was doing something with the ball, you know, after he caught it, well, you know, or, or he was catching it deep down deep enough down the field that he was already doing something at that point. And he was going to get you some points. Um, so I guess the biggest question is going to be, you know, the chemistry with Locke and if they can work on that, but, you know, being that he was a rookie tight end and he was already kind of, you know, showing that, um, you know, being in that like 15th, uh, around there I, I can't see I don't see it being that difficult for him to to jump up and, and maybe yeah replace, uh, I mean a lot of people one of the are followers that we have taking the next big step um I I don't know how much I agree because just because I don't know how much I believe in Locke but Font has the athleticism he has the draft capital he's you know there's what Sutton and then nothing really else to compete with as far as pass attempts but I always worry that they're going to remain kind of a running team especially now that they have Melvin Gordon to pair up with Lindsay. So, it, I mean, the tight end position is one of the weakest spots. So I, and almost anyone could probably make a run for, for top 12, if they just have a solid six week period, honestly. Um, the, the, I mean, I've talked a lot about Jarwin in the past, so yeah, I'm definitely. not going to go there with him. I'm actually going to bring up Jack Doyle. So Rivers now is an Indy and he really loves his tight ends, right? Like, I know the last two years, his tight end target share was, wasn't was that great. I think it was 16% last year and 14% the year before. But those, you have to keep in mind of who he was throwing to in those years, which was like Virgil Green and a 38-year-old, um, a 38-year-old Antonio Gates. And last year, Henry got hurt, right? So he didn't really have a tight end he was throwing to. But the year in which Henry and Gates were both healthy, like I think it was Henry's rookie year and probably the last productive year for Gates, he had almost a 21% target share towards tight ends. Indy's offense loves the tight ends. In 2018, they threw at the tight ends over 25% of the time. In 2019, they threw at tight ends over 26% of the time. We're only a year removed from Eric Ebron getting 110 targets. Ebron's gone. There's no other real tight end competition outside of like Moali Cox, who is more of a, a red zone guy. So Jack Doyle is going to be the main guy. And even if we're like, we're super conservative, 
right? And we say all of a sudden Indy's offense just doesn't target tight ends as much. It goes down to like 19%, which is a huge drop, right? That's 7% drop. Um, and we're conservative on how many pass attempts, like say 520. That's still 100 targets for Jack Doyle, right? And if we are, you know, let's say it's 22%. Now we have an insane amount of targets going to the tight end position, particularly going to Jack. So I could easily see Jack jumping into the top 12 just based on targets and what he's going to be getting. And the fact that we know Philip Rivers kind of loves his tight ends. So Jack Doyle could be one of those sneaky guys that I see going, you know, going pretty decently back in drafts, particularly startups, that if you want to wait, even in a tight end premium league, he might be someone to, to kind of latch on. And maybe I think he can be a tight end one for a lot of people. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. And obviously, uh, Hilton has had issues staying healthy the past couple of years. So if he has another injury riddled season, then that's probably going to help Doyle out even more now that Ebron's gone. Um, you know, I, I think Mo Ali Cox has been around for a while, so it's not like, I, I don't think he's just like all of a sudden going to uh, become something that he's really not. Uh, like you said, he does kind of get in there in the red zone and everything. And, and maybe that'll hurt Doyle in that aspect. But if he can still, if he gets a hundred targets, like he's, he's basically guaranteed to be a top 12 tight end. I mean, that's just all you have to do in like today's NFL is, is, yeah, is get that. So, you're, you're just about in the um, top 12. Let's go to our, our followers. Who do you think is going to fall out of this top 12? Well, I was going to go over one, but to me, he seemed kind of obvious. And so I decided not to, although after talking with you, maybe he's not obvious. And that was going to be Tyler Higby. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Dallas Goddard and, uh, to me, I think you kind of saw like the writing on the wall or, or whatever uh, a couple of days ago when the Eagles went ahead and picked up uh, Zach Ertz's uh, 2021 option. So, you know, I think as of like last year, everyone expected that Ertz was going to be even traded, possibly even traded last year at some point before the trade deadline. And then they were going to be like, you know, forced to trade him in 2020 because of his cap numbers and like that kind of thing. Well, they just picked up his 2021 option. Uh, so unless they're trying to use that as like trade bait for somebody, which uh, maybe it's it's possible, uh, you know, it seems like after everything that's happened with their wide receiver room and everything, he like he's going to be a part of the team. Like they know that they need two tight ends out there because they might they don't know what kind of wide receivers they're going to have out there. Um, so, you know, Ertz to me, isn't going anywhere. Uh, he, and, and, you know, even with it basically just being like the Ertz and Goddard show last year with just about no one out, else out there on the field, um, he, he still only had the ninth most targets because obviously you're splitting it between two different tight ends. So, you know, if, if they bring in a couple rookie wide receivers or, or, you know, maybe some free agent somewhere or trade for somebody, then, you know, I could easily see that dropping down, you know, being that there's two of them, you know, if Ertz is, is a highly targeted uh, tight end. So if, if Ertz kind of keeps up his, his uh, high amount of targets, then, you know, I could definitely see Goddard dropping down maybe into like, you know, 15th most targets and like that kind of thing. And if he's not scoring a lot of touchdowns, then I, yeah, I'd say he'd I, pretty I'm easily fall to the Goddard top 12 guy. at that point. I definitely think that especially like you said you really have to pay attention to contracts and what teams are doing with them um Ertz is going to be there for at least two more years like the big push for why you'd want Goddard in dynasty is you think Ertz is going to leave Goddard steps in Goddard becomes that guy but 
it seems pretty firm that Ertz is going to be there at least the next two years, and that could really hurt Goddard's chances of, of being a tight end one. Um, the guy I went with was, well, I mean, Jason Witten obviously is not going to be in the top 12 next year, but that was too easy, so I went with Cook. And he was third in team targets last year, but now he falls to kind of like a fourth option behind MT, Kamara, and now Emmanuel Sanders. Um, Kamara's injuries affected his targets, which I think kind of helped boosted Cook a little bit. Cook's going to be 33 at the start of the season. I just, I could see a, a scenario play out that Cook is not really any type of a focal point anymore in that offense. And, you know, he'll have a big game or two, but with how much Drew Brees loves to spread the ball around, and now that he has a, an, another added option, plus whoever they might end up drafting, you know, I, I don't think that, that Cook remains in the top 12, um, or at least he's one of my bets to fall out of the top 12. Yeah, and, and honestly, with, with any of these guys, you know, like that aren't named like Kelsey, Kittle, you know, e- even Ertz, I guess, uh, there's definitely – any of them could drop out. So, you know, with tight ends, it's, it's kind of easy to pick uh, fallers, uh, not as easy to pick the risers. But we know that, you know, obviously some people are going to jump into the top 12 and some are going to drop out and everything. Um, uh, one other thing I forgot to mention about Goddard was he was only 13 points above tight end 13 as it was last season. And, I mean, I think he had a pretty big season, you know, all things considered. So, you know, I think if they, they add a couple – options in the passing game and he could easily drop out because yeah of that. i agree i i think that uh this is probably our, oh, this is definitely our longest show so far but obviously we had a lot to cover uh we we really thought that it was important to go over some of these guys and like we said possibly give you guys some ideas of, of people you could trade for or trade away and and maybe you can even you know trade some of these fallers uh for some of the risers and, and really you know go out and, and win this year and everything so we hope you enjoyed all that uh we're sorry for getting you all pumped up with the the peter howard talk and then it not happening but uh you know we, we are in the works of of having that uh, happen in the future hopefully it'll be in the next week or so uh but we just haven't quite uh gotten a, a time down just yet uh but we're going to be doing another show early in the week and you know what obviously we'll be doing another deep dive on on something we haven't quite figured that one out just yet But until then, we're cashing out.